the implausible, no, the impossible. God, becoming a man, is it possible? Not born in a hospital, no, in a manger. Came to his own, but to his own, he was a stranger. We didn't know he would open our eyes then. And those who brought him gifts are known as the wise men because they were the ones that actually recognized him. But those who we came to save despised him. But isn't that why he came? Not for recognition and not for fame. Hung out with the broken and healed the lame. And then he told us that we should do the same. So Merry Christmas, or should I say, Consumerism is sometimes we're too consumed with our lists, whether a to-do list, a shopping list, or a wish list. Sometimes we miss the true meaning of Christmas. And that's what I want to say with this spoken word. God became a man to heal a broken world, full of broken boys and broken girls, But Jesus came to bring joy and hope to the world. There's hope in the word when you read it. Jesus hung bleeding for you and me and anyone who would accept the invitation. And then he calls for participation. The way he came in, we are to go light to the darkness and messengers of hope. Praying the kingdom would come in our neighborhood so God could look at creation and say it's good. So happy holidays, but please don't miss this. Have a good time, but don't forget this. It's all about the Lamb who is sinless. So go be a witness and Merry Christmas. Lord, thank you uh, for this day. I pray that my words would be your words and that we could learn more about what it means to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So just so you know, I like um, some interaction. So if I say something you like or that resonates, you know, you could snap, say amen. Um, So I, I welcome that, just so you know. So... As Christians, as followers of Christ, who knows that our goal is to be like Jesus? So I want to look at a story in John 4 and see what we can learn about how Jesus interacts with people and how we can be like him. So we pick the story up. In John chapter 4, it says, He left Judea and went back to Galilee. Now we had to go through Samaria. So first of all, he did not have to go through Samaria to get from Judea to Galilee. In fact, most people that were Jewish and religious, like Jesus, actually avoided Samaria. They went the long way around. Why? Because Samaria was a place of ancient, religious, historical, political, and racial conflict. 
and it was between Jews and Samaritans, and mostly they avoided each other. And so Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria, but he, he did have to go there for a reason that we'll find out. And that brings me to my first point, is that Jesus took the road less traveled. And that following Jesus may bring you down a road less traveled. When it may be popular to engage in, in sinful behaviors, Jesus may lead you down a road of purity. When it may be popular to hoard possessions and to accumulate wealth, Jesus may lead you to radical generosity. When it may be popular to seek comfort and seek advancement at all costs, Jesus may lead you to seek to be with those who are not of high standing. Jesus takes a road less traveled. He may lead you not to engage with the gossip or the dirty language or whatever it is. Jesus invites us on the road less traveled, and he says in Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And few find it. And I want to be on that road. So back to the story. We pick it up. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Keep that in your mind. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food, so he was alone. The Samaritan woman said to me, You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not deal with Samaritans. That brings me to my next point in the story about Jesus. We saw that Jesus takes the road less traveled, and Jesus breaks barriers. Jesus breaks barriers. If we look in the story, we'll see there are several barriers that are being broken. The first is Jew and Samaritan. We already said there's a conflict. It's racial. It's political, religious. They don't associate. But here is Jesus going through Samaria talking to this woman. Jesus is a man. And this woman is a woman, if, if you didn't figure that out. But back in this time, men did not talk to women in public, especially to the point where husbands didn't even talk to their own wives in public. It was women were, were sort of property. And so here 
is Jesus, a man talking to a woman. And if anyone tells you the Bible is patriarchal or it has a low view of women, Jesus actually broke the cultural barrier several times and elevated women in his ministry. So you can say, nope, you're wrong. So next is a rabbi and a, a sinner, a, a sinful person. We find out the woman is at the well at noon. Now, if you were in the Middle East and you had to walk a mile or two miles, you had a bar across your shoulders, you had two big water jugs, when would you go? People went in the morning or right before dark. People avoided the heat. A well was a gathering place, especially for women, but she is there at noon. Why? We find out later in the story she has a past, just like you and just like me. We all have things that we're not proud of, but everyone knew about all her stuff, and, and therefore she had a questionable character in the community. She must have been sick of being made fun of, being judged. Here she is at the well at noon, and the last person in this time that would be associating with her would be a rabbi, a teacher. That's what Jesus was. He, he breaks barriers. Let's see what else he breaks. How about Jew and Gentile? In this time, the Jews were being oppressed by the Romans. They had been killed. Um, they hated the Romans. They referred to Gentiles as dogs. And yet Jesus is breaking that barrier. What are some barriers that may exist in our world today that following Jesus may lead you down. How about racial barriers? Who knows that there's been some racial tension and conflict if we go to the next slide in our world today. There's one I almost forgot. Tax collector and zealot. Tax collectors worked for the oppressive Romans and they cheated their own people out of their money and gave it to the, the Romans. And a zealot was what we would know as a terrorist, an insurrectionist, somebody who violently opposed the Romans, the two least likely people ever to associate with one another can be found in Jesus' followers. He breaks barriers. He breaks racial barriers. Today, we have some conflict in our world, and following Jesus may lead you to be a barrier breaker. How about political barriers? I think, I think studies would back it up that we're in maybe the most politically divisive time ever because everyone's on their smartphone, scrolling through their personalized algorithm, confirming their beliefs, gaining more and more distrust 
for the other side, Jesus may lead you to actually engage somebody respectfully and try and understand. He breaks barriers. How about barriers of citizenship, social class, socioeconomic status? Following Jesus may lead you to be with the marginalized. How about my next barrier that exists? Being popular and the outcast. Maybe you're a teen. Maybe you're in school. Maybe there are certain groups or people that are outcasts in your school. Well, following Jesus may lead you to embrace the outcast in the same way he embraced this woman. And who, who is Jesus that he can break barriers? Well, who knows that he broke the ultimate barrier between humanity and God, the barrier of sin, that he not only died for sin, and he rose again and he empowers us to have victory over sin. Jesus is the ultimate barrier breaker. And following him may lead us in the same way. And let's go to my next slide here. We're back in the story. It says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus goes on to say later, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them and will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Is Jesus talking about water? We move on, and she says, Sir, that would be great because I don't want to carry my jugs to the well at noon anymore. So give me that water. Jesus says, go call your husband. Go call your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus, being, being fully God and fully man, because he was tired and thirsty, but, but now here he is, fully God, says to her, that's right, you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and now the man you're with is not your husband. And so we may read into this and think, well, this woman, she must have been a promiscuous woman or, or something. She's had five husbands. But actually in this time, we don't know that for sure because women we're not the one that controlled divorce. And so some, some schools of thought had taken divorce to just ridiculous levels. If your wife bothered you in some way, not that that would ever happen to any of us, they could divorce her. She cooked you a bad meal, again, I'm sure... No one's experienced that. But that could be grounds that a man could divorce a woman. So either 
she had been divorced five times or her husband had died, but either way, she must have had a tragic, difficult past. Either she lost five husbands, can you imagine? Or she had been used and abused and discarded five times. And she had come to this point maybe where she just gave up. And now she's with this man who is not her husband. Um, But I want to go to the point here. If we see what we're learning about Jesus, he... takes a road less traveled, he breaks barriers, and he satisfies. He satisfies. He says, if you drink this water, you'll be thirsty again. But if you drink the water I give you, you won't be thirsty, you'll be overflowing. And so I want to I speak to this in a vertical and a horizontal reality in this time. You have a Jew, you have a Samaritan. Both believe the law and both believe in a coming Messiah. And they believe you have to keep offering sacrifices to be forgiven of sins and be made right with God. This is the vertical reality. And and you may offer your sacrifice, you may be right with God, and then you go back into your life You end up sinning, and you have to repeat it. And too often we live that way now. We think, I'm at church. I may go to church thinking that that will make me closer to God, more right with God. And then I leave church, and especially around the holidays, people may come to church that don't usually come to church. And then... You go back to life, then you forget. Maybe something difficult happens, and you forget all about God, and, and you need to go back. If I can go back to church and be made right with God again, if I can, I went to camp, and I had a great week at camp, and then a month later, I'm back to all my old ways and habits. And I think I have to go to camp again. I have to go to that conference again. But Jesus offers a well, a spring that wells up to eternal life. He made a way through his sacrifice that we don't have to keep being made right with God. But actually, his once and for all sacrifice made us right with God by faith in him. And he offers relationship. And he offers the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So I no longer have to keep trying to be thirsty again and keep hoping that this time I can be right with God and thinking being more Christian may mean just going to church more. But he's saying no, actually means being indwelled of the Holy Spirit and overflowing. And how does that work horizontally? Well, with this woman, it wasn't working out well. Her vertical relationship to God was unfolding 
horizontally in all kinds of difficulty, tragedy, shame, pain. And so, so when our vertical is not right, horizontally we look to all these things thinking they might fulfill us. And if I have the perfect family, that might fulfill me. Or if I get certain grades, or if I get a certain level of success, or money, or I buy this property, or I have this many Instagram followers, we think we can be fulfilled. And Jesus says, if you drink that water, you'll be thirsty again. Not that all these are bad things, but if you look for ultimate fulfillment and identity in something other than Jesus, it will not be fulfilling. And so my question today is, where are you looking for the satisfaction? And is it working? Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Back to the story. They're at the well. She says, sir, I see that you're a prophet because only God knows that I've had five husbands. I just met you. I see you must be a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem, yet a time is coming and it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They are the worshipers the Father wants and seeks. And then he goes on and she says, I know the Messiah, the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything. Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Which brings me to my next point that we learn about Jesus is that Jesus cares about the heart. And I've seen this, and I don't know if you've seen this today. When you bring up Jesus, you bring up the condition of someone's heart. The first place many people will go is into some type of divisive, conflicting issue. Is that, well, well, what do Christians believe about sexuality and gender? Or why do so many Christians you know, vote for Donald Trump or whatever. And I'm not saying that's the issue. I'm just saying people, when you bring up God, Jesus, the condition of their heart, often people bring up a peripheral issue just like this woman. She brings up a conflict. She, she deflects away from her heart and soul and says, well, you say we worship here, I say we worship here. And if we're not careful, these peripheral issues 
may just get in the way of us knowing God. And not that they aren't important, but if we put all our stake in them, we may miss the main point. Instead of being right with God and then seeking the peripheral issues from that place. And so Jesus, he doesn't even entertain this conflict. He just jumps straight to the heart and says, guess what? It doesn't matter if you worship here or there, or if you go to this church or that church, or if you vote this way or that way, you live here or there, does not matter. But what matters is that you worship God in spirit and in truth. And some scholars say this is poorly translated because it implies that spirit and truth are two things. But in the original language, it's one thing, in spirit and truth. And that's what matters because you could come to church every week and not worship God in spirit and truth. You may come to church because it's the right thing to do. Or you hope that going to church may keep your kids out of trouble. Or it may be the most healthy thing for your family. There are many reasons you may go to church. But Jesus says, do you worship God in spirit and truth? Anyone could stand up here and give a message. But when they leave, do you worship God in spirit and truth? Being at church isn't what makes you a Christian or a follower of Christ. But when you leave church, does your worship continue in spirit and truth? Jesus warns. He warns against doing everything right, but not worshiping God in your heart. The Pharisees, they had all the right answers. They wore the right clothes. They went to the right place. Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and the outside will be clean. We could just hope that we look good. We could be at church and get a selfie with the whole family and post it on social media, just hoping everyone would say, man, they must really have it all figured out. We could be here for all the wrong reasons, and Jesus warns against that. Don't worry about how you look. Don't worry about how you may be perceived. Worry about worshiping God in spirit and truth. And the outside of the cup will become clean. Back to our story. It, it says that she left her water. 
the very thing she came there for. Now she encountered Jesus. She no longer even cared about what she used to care about. She went back to the village and told everyone, come see a man that told me everything about myself. Could this be the Messiah? And many of the Samaritans, they went and they believed because the woman's testimony. But after they had been with Jesus and heard him, they said, we no longer believe because of what you told us, but we believe because we've seen and heard him. He must be the savior of the world. Which brings me to my final point, that Jesus sees potential. When everyone looked at this woman, what did they see? Somebody beyond redemption. They had discarded her, written her off. She'll never be, she'll never, never turn it around. She's, she's hopeless. What do we see when we look at somebody far from God, living in sin? When you look at your estranged family member or your co-worker, or your classmate who just is fully invested in a life of sin. What do we see? Jesus, he looked at a, a sinful woman, a woman of questionable character, and he saw a great evangelist. She went out and, and spread the good news. Imagine that. He, he, the same story is when Jesus encounters a demoniac who is cutting himself and he's beating people and he can't be bound with the chain. Jesus saw an evangelist. Jesus, my next, my next one there, he saw a fisherman somebody not educated, not of much high standing, named Peter, and saw the one whom the church would be built upon. Not to mention a coward. Before Jesus got hold of his heart, he was a coward. He ended up dying for his faith. Jesus looked at a Pharisee who persecuted Christians named Paul, the most unlikely person that would ever speak to the non-Jewish world about Jesus. He looked at Paul and saw, yep, you're the guy. Can you imagine that? The last person you would think for the job. It was, it was Paul. Jesus looked at a corrupt Greedy, a greedy, selfish tax collector who was rich by just cheating people. And what did he see? A philanthropist. Jesus sees potential. What does Jesus see in you that he wants to draw out of you? And what does he see in your family member, in your coworker? 
in your classmate that he wants to draw out of them. I've heard it said, and I like it. God loves you right where you're at, but too much to leave you there. God loves people right where they're at, regardless of their sinful lifestyle, but too much that he wants to leave them there. He wants to bring transformation. What is he seeing, and how can we be a part of drawing that out? Now, scholars have suggested the imagery in this story is so strong, it is supposed to remind us of some Old Testament scenes. So, I said already, a well is a gathering place for women. So when Abraham wanted to find a wife for his son Isaac, where did he send his servant to a well where he found Rebekah? When Moses fled Egypt and went to Midian, at a well he met Zipporah, his future wife. And scholars suggest this story should bring our minds back to those scenes of betrothal, which uh, the closest thing we have now is engagement. But betrothal is basically where two people were pledged into marriage. And this woman, who's had a really, really hard time, especially with marriage, here is Jesus at the well, betrothing himself to her, offering her a second chance, or a seventh chance in this case, offering one more chance at this marriage that he could be married to her, that she could become the bride of Christ. Jesus is holding out an invitation at the well. And I believe today he holds out the same invitation to you and to me. And he says, become betrothed, become my, my bride, be married to me. Eat the water, or <laughs> can't eat water. Drink the water, eat the food that leads to eternal life. He's holding that invitation to you if you don't know him. He's holding it to the person in your life that may not know him. He's inviting betrothal, marriage, a second chance. So God, thank you so much for this chance to experience true life. If we have come today that we're seeking, um, we're seeking something else to be fulfilled, may we leave it behind us. May we come drink from the well that actually can satisfy our souls and may become in us a spring. May we live in a way where we overflow and we draw out of people who you have made them to be.
In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen.